0: good morning please open your bibles with me to first john chapter two we will finish first peter in this early part of the year however um, there's a good amount of preparation that goes into getting ready for our elders work session which george mentioned is this coming week and then i will be teaching at a conference in hawaii the next weekend and so there are many variety of things that I'm preparing for, so I wanted to return to something that we've studied before, which made my preparation for this week and next week a little simpler, and that is 1 John in chapter 2, and that portion that you'll remember where John addresses himself to little children, to young men, and to fathers in the faith, and we'll spend two sermons this week and next week looking at John's teaching in 1st John chapter 2 and I just want to remind you by way of introduction of a few things about 1st John as well as about this passage in particular remember that John copying Jesus or following Jesus example often speaks to the church in family terms as Jesus did and so when we read little children or young men or fathers this is not literally about age it, nor is it about gender either it's about little children in the faith young men in the faith fathers in the faith as categories or classes that characterize christians at different levels of maturity in the christian faith so that's very important to understand this sermon next week's sermon and, and such a text another thing that we need to be reminded of and to remember about first john is that when we look at 1 John as a whole and what John says and the way in which he says what he says, it it becomes clear that John is writing to discouraged Christians who have experienced a a division in their church, although it's probably better, instead of saying a division in their church, rather a purification. He talks about those who have gone out from us, not in another church of, of different opinion on something, but because they were not of us. They've been exposed as false, and they've left. But the people who are exposed as false almost certainly claimed to be genuine and true, which causes a great deal of confusion in the minds of the Christians. Did we do what was right? Are we standing for the truth? They say they have the truth, and so on and so forth. So John is trying to to give Christians the tools they need to properly discern between what is good and what is bad. What is true and what is false? Who are the true people of God and who are not? And so he, he uses moral tests. The children of God obey the commandments of God. And social tests. The children of God love the children of God as God has loved them. And doctrinal tests. The children of God confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He gives them these tests and distinctions, these razors to divide between one thing and the other, between truth and And falsehood, and also to encourage and reinforce them as he starts out that you are persisting in what was from the beginning. We are, as the apostles, we are the witnesses of the original true faith. We've communicated it to you. You are standing in it. You have communion with us, and we all have communion with God in this one true faith. And so, John is encouraging, reinforcing, rehabilitating, uh, and restoring Christians who have suffered greatly in the church through a division which is really a purification. And in these verses in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, John addresses Christians at different levels, we might say, of maturity in the church and in the faith. And so this morning we're going to look at John's address to the little children, the toddler believers, and then next week we'll look at his address or addresses to the young men and the father's in the faith let's read first john chapter 2 verses 12 through 14. john says i am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning i'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. To give some structure to the sermon, we're going to see two encouragements for toddler believers, and then four applications drawn from these encouragements. So two encouragements for toddler believers for remembering, of course, that little children or children or toddlers, all these terms simply speak about the maturity uh, of a certain Christian in the faith. Uh, Physical age is irrelevant here. How many times have we heard one of our children or, or a youth say, but I'm 18, I'm an adult. You say, congratulations, you've orbited the sun 18 times that doesn't make you an adult (laughs) legally. Yes, it does make you an adult according to law. However, it does not make you an adult in according to maturity and experience and wisdom and readiness for adult life. So age is just a measurement of the movement of the planet around the sun uh, as solar years are counted and birthdays are celebrated, but there's a different kind of age. Isn't there, and that is experience and maturity, which can't be measured uh, through the movement of the planet around the sun. It can only be measured in, in other ways. And that's the kind of language that we're using here. So toddler believers is has no regard to age, but it does have regard to they may very well be newborn Christians, so to speak. They've just come to the faith. They've just come to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. That very well could be true. They could be young in the faith, but it's not about being young in the body. So what two encouragements does John give to little children believers or toddler believers? Two things. First, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. We see this in verse 12 very straightforwardly i am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake i trust that most of us know or are learning our abcs and one two threes and we all need to know these things we need to know our abcs and one two threes because all of the words that we have are made up of those abcs and then all of those sentences are made up of those words, made up of ABCs, and all of those paragraphs and chapters and books and so on, it all comes down to the alphabet. It all comes down to your ABCs. And the one, two, threes, all of the math from the simplest one plus one to the most advanced calculus and beyond and, and so on and so forth, it all depends on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and zero. Those numbers are the numbers that are used and you need to know the most basic things. And if you don't know your ABCs and you don't know your one, two, threes, can you be a a functioning adult in society who is able to to work and to do the things that are needed to be done? Well, in in some senses, yes, we could say you could do those things. Uh, We're not speaking in absolute terms, but we know in general, you, you need to know the basics of ABCs and one, two, threes in order to be a functional and successful person and adult. And without those first lessons, we would be lost in later years. You have to start somewhere. So where should a newborn Christian start? Where did the toddler believers begin? What is the foundation for them? John brings them back and encourages them with the foundation of the forgiveness of their sins. The precious, wonderful, good news of the gospel. We need the gospel Every day, we need the gospel all throughout our Christian life. It's a starting point, and it's something that we never leave. And it's so important to us. You should never think... I believed the gospel. Let's move on to something else. No, we need to continue to to stay true and to remind ourselves of this foundation that our sins are forgiven. Because the truth that our sins are forgiven is a powerful, powerful encouragement and a powerful motivation for perseverance and endurance in the Christian life. We can lay our heads on our pillows to go to sleep and know my sins are forgiven. And we have peace. And we can wake up and we can say, my sins are forgiven. And we have peace. We can endure the, the spite and the, the mistreatment or speaking ill of us by other people who say, you Christians are so this or so that. We can be mistreated by others and we can know whatever they say, whatever mud they try to throw at us, whatever harm they may inflict on us, it changes not the fact that my sins are forgiven or if my body is in pain and i am weak i know my sins are forgiven as we sing my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but in whole is nailed to the cross praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul it is well with my soul is there bliss for you in that glorious thought? My sins are forgiven. There should be bliss because there's a blessing. Psalm 32 says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered in. Paul quotes this in Romans 4. There's a blessing, a blessedness, and a bliss that comes from the forgiveness of sins. One of the beautiful things about the Christian life is that it begins with such a a love for Christ and a gratitude for what he's done for us. And you might think, well, that's as bright as it will be, and then that will fade. You know, there's a honeymoon period, and then you settle in. And sometimes that is a Christian's experience, but it's also a Christian's experience that over time we actually find the cross to be sweeter and sweeter and more precious and more wonderful the longer we live in the Lord. But how do I know that my sins are forgiven? Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, but how do I know? How can I be assured of this glorious thought that my sins are forgiven? Well, what does John say? I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. For his name's sake. We know that our sins are forgiven for Jesus' name's sake. What do the scriptures teach us that All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And all those who come to me, I will by no means cast out. So we know that those who call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, those who say, forgive me for Jesus' sake. Forgive my sins because I trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his suffering and his death, his perfect obedience, the body and blood of the Lord is mine by faith. For his name's sake, forgive my sins. We know we have it because God does not cast out or send away or dismiss anyone who calls upon him in the name of the Lord. And we know our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Children in the church, that is spiritual children, those who are young in the faith, they need to make the cross of Christ and the forgiveness of their sins in his name, they need to make that their food. Our children, many of them, they just want snacks or candy all the time, don't they? And the parents have to say, no, you need some protein. No, you need some vegetables. No, you need something that really will sustain you and feed you and be nutritious to you. And so, also in in the church, what we need as toddler believers and all throughout our lives is the precious good news of the gospel. Maybe this has been your. Maybe this describes you, or you've probably known someone who's done this, and we can all. I have a little chuckle about it. It's not meant to be a criticism, but I'm sure that you or someone you know has said something like this when they came to the Lord. When they came to the faith, they say, "Now I want to study Revelation because they kind of they feel like they want to jump to the end. How how does it all end? I I, I want to know the biggest thing. That's what they. That's how they perceive Revelation. But what they really need to do is keep looking at the cross. Keep looking at the cross. Keep looking at the cross. The toddler Christian doesn't need to jump straight to the most advanced level, which Revelation isn't, in a sense, even that. It's what people think it is. They need to say, okay, I started with the cross. It's not something to leave behind and move on to something bigger and better. The cross is what we cling to all along the way. It is the food. No, I want the snacks and candy. No, no, no. The cross is your food. It's your daily meditation. It will never fail you. It's a well that never runs dry. You can go to the well of the gospel, drop your bucket, bring it up. It's full of water. The water is overflowing from the bucket. You drink it all, the gospel. You put the bucket down again. You bring it up. It's overflowing again. Repeat infinite times. That bucket will always be overflowing with good news for you. Why? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What a wonderful encouragement. Secondly, the second encouragement that John gives to the little children of the church, toddler believers, is that they know the Father. He says this at the end of verse 13. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Reminding them that they know the Father is very important. John wants them to live with an explicit, a clear, self-conscious identity of who they are and who they are in relation to God. Their sins are forgiven. But one of the things we've, we've said various times in, I don't know if recent is the right word, but in generally recent past sermons, is that what we tend to call salvation is not so much the end as it is a means to an end. We tend to think of the Christian life as salvation is the thing that it's all leading towards in some way, which, okay, we, we understand that there's even, our salvation is not yet complete in the sense that there's more glory yet for us. But what we need to be reminded about is salvation as we tend to think of it, forgiveness of sins, Christ's righteousness given to us, is not the end, but a means to an end. It's preparing us and making us fit for communion with God. And communion with God is the end. So these toddler believers are told first, your sins are forgiven. You've been washed and wiped clean. And then what? They're encouraged with their communion with God. You know the Father. And to know the Father is to have eternal life. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 3. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And John reminds them, you have eternal life by saying, you know the Father. You know the one true living God. If you live your life conscious, aware, assured that God is your father and that you belong to him and you know him, it's an encouragement to know you're not alone and you're not on your own. And it reminds you, look to your father for help. Look to your father for direction. Look to your father for teaching, for truth, and for correction, The toddler Christian needs to be reminded, go to your father. Go to your father. You know him. The toddler looks to its parents for everything, sometimes too many things, right? (laughs) Figure it out for yourself. But our heavenly father is not like us. We can go to our heavenly father and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. We just studied that in 1 Peter. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You know the Father. But brothers and sisters, we need to be corrected. We need to be rebuked somewhat for not being as impacted by this truth as we ought to be. To know the Father is, to have communion with God, to know the Father is beyond glorious. But it doesn't, doesn't have the effect on us that it ought to have oftentimes we ought to have the same kind of reaction that John does in chapter 3 when he says behold what manner of love when he says this is otherworldly that the father should call us the children of God to have God as your father John says this is incredible this is amazing but we tend not to understand it with such grandeur as we ought if I said to you did you know I'm best friends with the King of England? You'd say, not true. (laughs) But if it it were true, let let me admit something. When this was first written, it says best friends with the Queen of England. And everyone would say, wow, that's incredible because people respected the Queen of England. There's not the same respect for the King of England, so it doesn't have the same impact. So whom should we choose? to be the, wow, you're friends with Shohei Ohtani. If I said, I'm best friends with Shohei Ohtani, then all the Doyer fans would say, no way, are you serious, that's crazy. And they would be impressed and their jaws would drop and they would want to use me to get to him and all kinds of things. It would it would impact you. Ohtani, are you serious? No, I'm not serious. As incredible as that would be in both senses of the word, it's vastly more incredible to say, I'm not best friends with the father. I'm his child. I'm God's child. I'm his son, or I'm his daughter. I'm not buddy-buddy with someone famous. I'm a child of God. John says, I write to you children because you know the father, the God who created the world, The God who flooded the world, the God who raised up Abraham and multiplied his descendants and who raised up Moses to free them from Egypt and lead them through the Red Sea and feed them in the desert and bring them into Canaan and conquer the nations and subdue their enemies and raise up David to rule over them and exile them for their sin and return them for exile. The God who took on flesh for us and was born in Bethlehem from a virgin, the God who died for us and was raised again for us, this God. creator and Savior you know him and he's your father the one who is the fountain of all being the one who is I am that I am the one who is omnipotent omniscient omnipresent infinite eternal immutable impassable most glorious most loving most wise that God The one true God is your Father, and you know him, and you can pray to him, and you can call him Father. He's not a statue in a temple. He's not some magnified human deity that you have to persuade to be nice to you or get their attention with heroic deeds. He's your Father, and he loves you. Toddler toddler, uh, Christians the little children of the church, they need to be reminded of these fundamental truths and they are fundamental encouragements. And it's, it's especially encouraging in a, a society in a world where uh, the family is so deteriorated and so many people have, have not known a father or have not known a loving father and to know that God, who is love, is my father is a wonderful, wonderful foundation and encouragement. We need to be reminded of these foundational encouragements as Christians, that we begin the Christian life with a cross-centered perspective. My sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And I live the Christian life, yes, still with a cross-centered perspective, but as a preparation for communion with God, a God-centered perspective. Salvation is what God has given to me and what has happened in me, and communion with God is how I then am able to to be with him and have a relationship, a loving father-to-son, father-to-child relationship with God. Well, let's take these encouragements and fundamental truths and apply them to our lives in four ways. in the first place, do not settle. Do not settle. We've said time and time again that John writes to Christians at different levels or stages or points of maturity in the Christian life. And it's important to realize that we need to grow. We need to grow. We need to develop In knowledge and practice we need to mature in knowledge and practice we must not be content to settle in the Christian life and this is necessary for for various reasons one of which is the fact that sins not going to settle we will always be under attack the world the flesh and the devil will always be seeking to pull us down and claw at us, and so we must not settle, we must grow stronger. Sometimes your diet pauses for a time, or your exercise pauses for a time, and you put on a little bit more weight, or you lose some of your fitness, and you think, oh, it would just be so much work to get back into it, and you can't just settle and say, oh well, because then it's just going to get worse. Your physical condition will only deteriorate. By analogy, so also spiritually, sin is going to pull at you and pull you down. You can't say, oh, well, I've I've come this far. That's that's fine. That's good enough. I'm not not going to try harder. No, we need to, to press on and strengthen ourselves. We need to be proactive in pursuing holiness and knowledge because the Christian faith is credenda and agenda. Things to be believed and things to be done. Faith and practice. Faith and works. And both require maturity. Both require growth. Growth in faith and growth in obedience. Growth in knowledge and growth in faithfulness. And also, what do you do with foundations? You build on them. Forgiveness of sins, knowing the Father, is a foundation. It's a starting point. Yes, one we don't leave because you stay there and you build on it. Don't settle, but rather grow. Sometimes we tell our children, don't grow up. (laughs) Don't grow up, stay cute and cuddly forever. But we want to see our children grow and mature and become independent. And then they reach a point where we say, grow up. We want them to be independent. We want them to have their own decision-making skills, their own responsibility and diligence, their own household eventually. We want to see them grow. We don't want our children to settle and be thinking they're adults when they're not, uh, having adult bodies but a child's maturity. So also in the church, you must not settle. And one one of the ways in which you could settle is by watching others' growth and thinking that you have in some way participated in their growth secondhand. What I mean by this is, for example, or or by analogy, if you watched someone learn to ride a bike and you understand the process that they went through to learn to ride a bike and you see them ride, and then you think you know how to ride a bike because you watched them learn to ride a bike, but you've never actually ridden a bike you don't actually you have a kind of knowledge about bike riding but not a, an experience and so also in the christian faith sometimes you see other people go through suffering and endure in, and endure in it or you see them grow in this other way and you're you're excited and you're happy for them but you yourself may not be actually growing you simply see other people around you growing and you have settled Or perhaps you've reached this point in your Christian life and you're being exhorted to to grow and mature in certain ways and you say, well, I was fine before in all these ways. Why do I need to have a more complete obedience or a more complete Christian life now when I was fine all these years or all this time before? We must not settle. Just because someone felt comfortable with the way things were up to this point doesn't mean that's how the way things should be. Another way in which you may settle is if you hear the same teaching regularly from the pulpit and it doesn't actually change your your life, it doesn't actually get put into practice and you just say, oh yeah, that's true, oh yeah, that's true, and that's as far as you go. You've settled to be content with an intellectual Christianity, but not a practical Christianity, which James says is actually dead Christianity. Faith without works, confession without conviction is dead, Sometimes people get counseling over and over for the same issues. And they're not fighting. They're not putting in the effort. They've settled. They've said, this is the way things are or are going to be. Do not settle. You won't get stronger by watching weightlifting videos or reading about diets. (laughs) and you won't grow as a christian if all you do is read about being a christian well i go to bible studies regularly i go to all the bible studies that's good but it's only half of the equation maybe you're settling even though you're very much involved in an intellectual side in the intellectual side of the faith secondly the second application Do not confuse maturity with age. You may think we've already said this and we have, but part of not settling is realizing that just because you've been in Christ for a certain amount of years, it does not mean that that necessarily corresponds to a certain level of maturity. You may think, I've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years. That doesn't mean that you're a mature Christian you may still be a toddler Christian. And that's not so much, it is a kind of criticism, but it's more an encouragement to, to grow. Because you can grow. We know that the body, the graph of the body goes like this. Everyone's body goes like this. That's the graph of your body. It's going to deteriorate. There's no way around that, except for resurrection, which we will get to, but not yet. We have to go through this first. First the humbling and then the lifting up, right? So we know the body, the outer man, wastes away. But what an encouragement to Christians to know that the inner man can trend up like this. That no matter how your body fails or diminishes, you are able to grow. You are able to keep growing, even in old age. It would be just a different way of settling to say, well, I'm old now. I can't learn things. And it's true that when we get older, it can be and often is more difficult to learn, to remember, to to capture in your mind certain things. That's true. We're not denying that or ignoring that. But it doesn't mean that you can't grow at all. Psalm 92 speaks about God's people in this way in verses 12 through 15. Psalm 92 The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. We are able to bear fruits of holiness all throughout our lives. And even though the mind, yes, does become weaker oftentimes later in age, the soul, the mind is part of the soul, but... We are able to grow in holiness, to grow in confidence, to grow in faith, to grow in maturity in many ways. So there's two sides to this. Don't confuse maturity, age with maturity. Just because you've lived a long time in the Lord doesn't make you mature, so that's an encouragement to grow more. And then the other side of that is that you can grow more, so be encouraged. Don't think, well, I can't. I can't grow anymore. I, my, my body's reached a limit, or my, because of age, I've hit a ceiling. No, you can continue to bear fruit. And there is spiritual sap, there is spiritual greenness in you that the Lord continues to renew the inner man as the outer man wastes away. That's an encouragement. There are many discouragements in old age because your body is is wasting away as as all of ours will. And there are many frustrations that come with that, but be encouraged to know that my soul flourishes but you need to dedicate yourself to that flourishing. You need to seek to grow in knowledge and practice. Thirdly, do not isolate yourself from the family. Do not isolate yourself from the family. Children learn from our examples. They see, monkey see, monkey do. They see us do things, they see us act in a certain way, and they think, that's what I should do too. They learn from us by seeing us. Little children see their mothers speaking to them, they see their fathers talking to them, they see their siblings. All of this social interaction is imperative. It's so important for the development of a child. This is true for Christians also. In the church, one thing that will stunt your growth and diminish your maturity or your development is if you remove yourself and detach yourself from fellowship with other believers in the church, from the family, from the children of God. Uh, John speaks to little children, to young men, and to fathers in the faith, and they need to be mixed together so that the little children can learn from the young men and from the fathers, so that the fathers can be examples to the young men and to the little children But if you take a child and you put them alone in their room and you put a screen in their face and you isolate them from the family, they'll remain a child forever because they're not learning anything about real life. They're not learning anything about how a a, a man acts in the home or how a woman acts in the home. They're not learning because they've been isolated and as we ought to have, these are analogies, as we ought to have our children out in the house participating in the life of making dinner, cleaning up after dinner, and all just the normal life of a human being. So also in the church, young toddler believers or Christians in general should not isolate themselves from the church. So this means I show up at 1045, I leave at noon. Where's the fellowship? Where's the interaction? Where's the mingling? Where's that that koinonia, that fellowship of the church, that communion, that togetherness of the church? That's isolating yourself from the family and then you don't have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ with whom to have fellowship. By your own choice, you're not necessarily intending to evade such persons or avoid them, but you are choosing not to to be with them. And being with the family, the, the Christian family, does not necessarily mean something formal. It can just be spending time together in general. Uh, let's go back to, to the Dodgers. We'll go to Dodgers Stadium now. If, if you said to someone hey do you want to go to a Dodgers game with me? And they said yeah that would be fun. And you go to a Dodgers game and let's say that they are new in the faith and they're still learning how does a Christian act? How does a Christian conduct themselves in, in public and in, in, in this context? And so they go with other Christian brothers and they see around them all kinds of drunkenness and ridiculousness I mean it's it's frankly ridiculous how people act at baseball games sometimes and frustrating if you want to enjoy the game but they see their their brothers in Christ they see they had a beer and that's fine they're not getting drunk they just had a drink they have self control and they're not spouting all kinds of profanity or, or disgusting things or just acting like a madman they're enjoying the game they're they're cheering they're clapping they're having fun and this person's saying okay I see those other people, that's how I should not act. I see this person, they have self-control, they're they uh, governing themselves in a proper manner. Even that is fellowship, even that is growing together and learning from others' examples. So don't think of Christian fellowship just as formally as the Lord's Day, although it's very, our Lord's Days are designed to, to encourage that and to enable that. But Christian fellowship takes place in homes. It takes place out in public. It takes place all the time. But if you isolate yourself either on Sundays or the rest of the week from other Christians and other believers, old and young, you will certainly diminish your development as a Christian. This is what our Titus 2 groups are also about uh, facilitating, aren't they? Having the older women and the younger women together. Having the older men and the younger men together together putting them through teaching time, having discussion time. But it needs to be more than just those formally orchestrated things. It needs to be natural and organic, which requires you of your own volition, of your own choosing, of your own will, talking to other people, being with other people, and so on. Don't isolate yourself from the family. Fourthly and lastly, don't forget your ABCs and one 2 threes. I mentioned recently in a sermon that one of my recurring stress dreams is that I'm back in school again. No one wants to go back to kindergarten or first grade. To us it would be, oh, I don't want to go back to the beginning. I don't want to go back to the ABCs and the one, two, threes. Or you think about your first job, <laughs> I don't want to be a busser <laughs> again. Work is good, and to be paid for work is good, but that's not the work that I would prefer to do if I don't have to do it. Actually, my first job was holding a sign on the street for six hours. I don't want to do that either. There are many things we don't want to go back to, and we're glad we've outgrown them, we've exceeded them. But in the faith, the ABCs and 123s are not something we outgrow not something that we don't want to return to, but rather something that we very intentionally should go back to. Tell me again about the forgiveness of my sins. Tell me again that I know the Father and my communion with him. If you listen to sermons and you think, okay, the gospel again? Could you give us something, I don't know, more exciting, more different, uh, diverse, interesting? No. (laughs) No. Don't forget or neglect your ABCs and 1, 2, threes, the forgiveness of your sins and knowing the Father. In fact, Jesus programmed the church this way. As often as we eat and drink, what are we remembering? What does Jesus say to us in the supper every time we participate? He says, this is my body, this is my blood. It's broken for you, it's poured out for you for the remission of sins. He tells us again and again and again, I, write, I, I give to you this supper, little children, because your sins are forgiven for my name's sake. This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus tells us over and over in the supper, your sins are forgiven for my name's sake. If that was something that we were supposed to learn it and move on, Jesus wouldn't have us celebrate this so regularly and teach us and remind us again and again of our forgiveness of sin in his blood. Never grow tired of this. Never be bored of it. Yes, the faith teaches us many things and the scriptures take us to, to many places in terms of learning the Christian faith. But at the core, at the center, at the heart is the forgiveness of our sins and the subsequent or consequent communion of with God that comes from that washing and cleansing in Christ's blood. Don't forget those ABCs and one, two, threes. Don't, don't be annoyed or bored by them in the preaching, but rather delight in the gospel because it's it's what will take you through your Christian life to the very end. In your on your deathbed, in your dying moments, what will you need to have peace? You will need the forgiveness of your sins, and that you know the Father. That's what will take you from beginning to end. And brothers and sisters, what a wonderful thing to know that it will be true and unchanged from beginning to end. So little children, remember that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And remember that you know the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you have adopted us as your children in Jesus Christ, and you have given us your Holy Spirit to assure us of this, to bless us and to help us. We pray that you would help us to grow and to mature, to be convicted and convinced by your word, and then to put it into practice. We pray that we would never grow tired of the fundamentals, of the basics, of the beginning of our faith, but rather that we would grow in those things and deepen our experience and our appreciation for those precious precious truths. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that we have communion with you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.